what's your flavor? Tell me what's your flavor? What's your flavor? Tell me what's your flavor? What's your flavor? Tell me what's your flavor? Hi, and welcome to the Flavor Make Film Podcast. My name is Zara Freeland, Flavor Mag's resident film editor. Each month, myself and the Flavor Mag film team, Daisy Edwards and Andy Furlong, will bring you a roundup of our best cinema, DVD, and streaming releases, accompanied with celebrity interviews and guest reviewers. November saw a few corkers released into the cinemas. I'll be covering the mesmerizing sci fi arrival with an interview from Amy Adams. And also, I'm going to take a look at J.K. Rawlins' Return to the Wizarding World with Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. A little later on, we'll hear from Andy Furlong with his Irish accent. And he'll be telling you all about interracial relationships in the United Kingdom. First up, let's take a look at sci-fi alien encounter story Arrival. Directed by Sicario's Dennis Villeneuve and starring Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner and Forrest Whitaker. Excuse me a little bit, I'm suffering from a bit of a cold so I'm sounding a bit bunged up and a little bit sexy. When 12 mysterious alien spacecraft touch down across the globe, which to me looks suspiciously like oversized chocolate orange segments. Anyway, the military bring in an elite team to find out basically why they're here um the team is led by expert linguist louise banks who's played by amy adams in probably one of her best roles for quite a while and one of her best performances as well um and she's accompanied by a suave scientist ian donnelly who's played by jeremy renner they a little bit later on they become a a, a bit of a, a love interest thing going on there but that's not till quite near the end and you know it's it's not in your face either so it's, it's quite quiet anyway they brought on to communicate with the two aliens that are on board the spacecraft that's based in the u.s um, and they've decided to nickname them albert and costello after the american comedy duo anyway the only problem is their language which turns out to be just a bunch of symbols so of course louise needs to decipher what these symbols mean and it's quite weird these symbols they're just they're like squirted out of their hands um just which looks a bit like ink in water anyway whilst the rest of the world are preparing for war it's down to, to louise to decipher what these symbols mean and she builds up this kind of a relationship with with the uh, aliens as well and she becomes quite close um but hopefully she can uh, save humanity let's take a, a listen to a, a clip from from the film this is the day they arrived the object touched down 40 minutes ago mama it's going to happen i don't know Dr. Banks, you're at the top of everyone's list when it comes to translations. You hear any words? Is that? Yes. Am I the only one having trouble saying aliens? So what do they look like? You'll see soon enough. They need to see me. Dr. Banks? Now that's a proper introduction. More objects have landed around the world. It's their language. Got 21 hours before they start global war. They're not our enemy. We need to talk to them. It's more complicated than that. How is it more complicated? Are you dreaming in their language? What does it say? 
weapon. So how do we clarify their intentions? I go back in. What is she doing? You are committing an act of treason. Do you trust me? Ultimately, the story is of two parts. One in which is the beating heart of the story with the relationship of Louise and her daughter who sadly died. The other is the sci-fi. The two stories are intelligently threaded together seamlessly, almost like a realistic dream sequence. However, the encounter scenes are where all the intensity lays, and this is where its audience will remain truly captivated, almost hypnotised by its simplicity, beauty and message of optimistic humanity. Arrival is impeccably stylish, stylish hypnotic and awe-inspiring. A first encounter story which conveys an important message of humanity and simplistic beauty. Let's hear from Amy Adams giving her take on this mesmerising movie. When the audience first meets Louise, she is dealing with the loss of her daughter. Dr. Louise Banks is a linguist and she's teaching at a college and the ships have landed and she goes on a very emotional journey. She's called upon by the United States government to help decipher an alien language. Pack your bags. You start to learn that communication and language is based on so much more than the words we speak. And I communicate through connection and through pattern. And we have to decipher what their language means. We need to be working together to decipher this, and yet countries are pulling away and wanting to protect their information. Everything that happens in there comes down to the two of us. There's no way the audience knows what's in store for them. Next up, it's Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. It's been five years since Harry Potter and the Deathly, Deathly Hollows was released, so it's about time J.K. Rowling and longtime director David Yates brought back this wonderful wizarding world which has captured the hearts of not just the nation, but the whole world. J.K. Rowling, believe it or not, finds herself as first-time screenwriter for Fantastic Beasts. And she has created everything that is much loved from the pages of the magical and charming Harry Potter. With a few minor flaws, I'm sure they will be ironed out in subsequent four films that are due to hit the big screen. The quirky yet timid Newt Scamander, played by Eddie Redmayne, who seems to have brought the awkward yet charming elements of Professor Stephen Hawking from his stint as him in The Theory of Everything, he arrives in 1920s New York with his battered brown case full of pesky and troublesome beasts in a quest to release the Thunderbird into its rightful habit. At the same time, New York is under threat from an unknown force which is causing destruction all over the city. This is being investigated by the magical security of the Makusa, director Percival Graves, played by a very evil and ominous looking Colin Farrell. I've always said that man's got a bit of a, a nasty streak to him. Anyway, thanks to Newt's encounter with a nomad, or better known to us as a muggle, Jacob, who's played by the endearing and hilarious Dan Fogler, and a case mix-up, Newt becomes involved in the hunt. Let's take a listen to a clip from the film. You're the guy with the case full of monsters, huh? News travels fast. I was hoping you'd be able to tell me if there have been any sightings. 
tracks, that sort of thing. You got a pretty big price on your head, Mr. Scavenger. Why should I help you? Instead of turning you in. I take it I have to make it worth your while. Eh, let's consider it a cover charge. Because is offering more than that. Wait a minute. That's a boat? That's a boat truckle, right? No. Oh, come on. They pick locks, am I right? You're not having him. Well, good luck getting back alive, Mr. Scamander. What with the hole of Makuza on your back? Fantastic Beasts is rich in CGI graphics, which is wondrously supernatural and magical on the eye, and a New York which is immensely dark and ominous. It has that dark feel to it, just like the last two or three Harry Potters. Fantastic Beasts is full of astounding entertainment and faithful to the Potter franchise, and we defy you not to instantly fall in love with the Niffler has its eye on everything shiny and it's, it's just a it's it's a cute but pesky little thing and i want one for christmas anyway it's exactly what you would expect from the pen of rolling however the narrative can ex be extremely clunky at times and it's unintelligible as we dart in and out of scenes whilst rolling's fantastic beast is everything any potter fan would love entertaining enchanting and simply magical and it also has a sneak peek at a forthcoming character. It has its glaring flaws, which are just slightly jarring. Let's just hope she picks up her magic wand and conjures up a spell to make its sequel as magical as we know it can be. That being said, it's still a brilliant film. Lastly, for the cinema releases, I am passing over the baton to Andy Furlong, who will give his take on A United Kingdom. Amma Asante's 2013 period drama, Belle, was a hit with audiences and critics alike. With her follow-up film, A United Kingdom, would the promising director be able to replicate her success again? A United Kingdom stars Rosamund Pike and David Oyelowo as star-crossed lovers in 1940s England. As if interracial relationships weren't scandalous enough in those days, the issue is complicated even further due to the fact David Oyelowo's character, Serexe Kama, is next in line to be the king of Botswana. Their relationship caused an international stir, with everybody from the British establishment to South African advisors conspiring to see the relationship fail. A United Kingdom deals with issues like race, prejudice and colonialism, but perhaps sometimes a little too on the nose. For a movie filled with subjects which are sure to generate sympathy and tension, there is a surprising lack of conflict and urgency to events. We should stop here. My father, he wouldn't approve. I'm just two streets away. Can we do this again? I mean, meet. Is that too forward of me? No. No. What? Queen Victoria, 
The man who negotiated for her protection of Bichwana land. He was my grandfather. A king. I am his heir. Oh, I see. Thank you. Thank you for explaining. Not simply disappearing. I quite understand. I have had a wonderful evening. Ruth. No, I, I, I don't think you do understand. I, I don't know what happened tonight. But I do know that I would hate to walk away from you here in this moment knowing that I wouldn't see you again. Well, then you must. I mean, see me again, I mean. Rosamund Pike and David Oyelowo's characters have chemistry and are perfectly fine as lovers, but the film's early scenes regarding their courtship are a bit too brief, so we never feel like we truly get to know them as characters. The film also suffers from some pacing issues also, and it sometimes lacks focus in what it is trying to portray. However, the story of these two real-life people is quite important, and fans of romantic dramas will be in their element, and find more than enough heartwarming and uplifting moments to make a United Kingdom well worth their time. What's your flavour? Tell me what's your flavour? Hi, my name is Daisy Edwards, Flavor Mag's junior film writer, and I'll be giving you our choices of November's DVD and streaming releases. For the month of November, we've got The Beatles, Eight Days a Week, The Touring Years, and Billy Connolly High Horse Tour. Plus, we have our film writer, Andy Furlong, giving you a breakdown on the BFG. First up, we have The Beatles Documentary from director Ron Howard, which focuses solely on their touring years back in the 60s. The documentary shows the journey over just four years of John, Paul, George and Ringo's lives at the start of their career, which to be honest was basically a non-stop journey around the world playing to the masses of the crowds that worshipped them. And the film stays on that tour and begins right at the first wave of their fame and ends in their very life, last live performance together. It's quite an unexpected short run, actually, but it, it changes the four band members phenomenally, and you can see that throughout the film. It's a really comfortable focus. There's no major controversy. Um, it's actually rather an exploration of the years of their lives and how it affected them as a band and individually. And it kind of asks the questions, you know, who, who were the Beatles as these tours got crazier and the mobs got rowdier? Um, it's really nice also to stop throughout the film to explore new avenues that maybe not all of us know about, whether that be their producer George Martin, there's a nice segment on him, or maybe the effect the band had on um, celebrities, high, high profile people such as Whoopi Goldberg. Um, she talks about how the Beatles affected her life as a young black girl in the 60s. There was the announcement of this concert, and I was like, can we go? And my mom was like, Ugh, we don't have the money for this. And then, Something, I don't know how she did it. I don't know. 
I don't know how she did it, but she got two tickets. And she didn't tell me. So this is what happened. She said, we need to go. I said, where are we going? She said, I'll let you know when we get there. Okay. So we're on the train. I'm not paying any attention. And we get up, and I said, where are we? And she said, we're at Shea Stadium. And I said, why? And she held up two tickets. And all I remember is my head going, And the documentary kind of plays like the Beatles material um, with the pace and tone. It shifts as, as they do creatively. Um, what's most enjoyable is actually seeing the Beatles having so much fun, having the time of their lives and realizing that actually they're really, really, really funny guys. And they're probably just, they probably would have been just as successful as comedians as they were composers and performers. Um, what's probably the highlight though is the musical interludes we actually get to see whole songs being performed from um archive footage from their tour and it just reminds us why the world fell in love with with this band and their music is infectious but also their stage presence and personalities as well which all shine through in this documentary it doesn't need to hammer home how amazing these musicians were like most people know the beatles their record sales and the fact that you can never meet a person who's never never really heard of them um kind of shows that but what the documentary does it shows us aside the beatles that you know, it's actually a, a whole lot more than maybe we could have imagined um, how this these tours affected them. It's got the boys' charm, it's got their humour, it's got their good spirits. Um, and it's just so nice to see them being positive and obviously seeing their talents. Now, it really appeals to, to everyone, I think. Not only mega fans, but also people who kind of know a few of their songs and they like them. It just shows another side that I don't think any of us have seen before, which can, you know, it's a, r a real joy for anyone, re regardless of what kind of fan you, fan you are, which is why it's one of our choices for November's DVD and streaming releases. Next up is Billy Connolly High Horse Tour which is the DVD release of one of his 11 nights performing this year at the Hammersmith Apollo. Connolly unfortunately currently suffers with Parkinson's disease, which uh, affected his movements a lot um, during the performance, such as um, taking small steps across the stage and minimal hand gestures. It's slightly surprising to see him like this when you compare it to previous things you may have seen him, such as films and stand-up performances. But what is so great about his performance this time round is that he actually uses this as part of his act. He instantly breaks the ice in his classic dry humour by accusing the audience of only clapping and cheering for him because he's unwell and they feel sorry for him. It's a fantastic way to settle the audience in with his familiar style of humour and it's the first instance of showing how he's definitely not letting his illness stop him being his famous self and doing what he loves. His confidence and method of storytelling are what makes Billy stand out as an entertainer. He always drops quips about how famous he is and where he gets recognised, whether that's when he got picked up by policemen in his car or when he accidentally ran into some drug dealers. Actually, I don't mind doing selfies, but please, if you ever meet me and you want a selfie, have your stuff ready. <laughs> 
don't make me stand there as you get through your fucking bag looking for your camera. Because <laughs> it looks as if I've asked you to do it, you know? <laughs> Some of the best moments are through his love for swearing. As a Scotsman, he really taps into his and his country's love for swearing. Although he drops C-bombs like they're going out of fashion, it never feels overused and it packs a punch every single time. He also doesn't shy away from vulgarity and gruesome subjects either whether that be when he musically performed at a hospice and one of the residents sadly died, or a friend accidentally killing a cat with a hammer, that's certainly not for the faint-hearted, that story. Something that sticks in mind particularly is a cringeworthy account of his penile surgery, where he said his view from the camera inside reminded him of an aquarium. Although his spirit is clearly still going good and strong, it's hard not to be initially distracted by his stance and lack of animated movements. Um, it's rare not to see comedians using their hands and bodies to accompany and express their comedy. Initially, it seems quite unnatural, especially with close-ups where Colony appears to look straight at the camera. It, but it never takes away from his comedy. In fact, it makes a lot of his humour more deadpan. At the end of the day, Billy Connolly doesn't care about the rules and all the more respect to him for it. At some points, he doesn't even make transitions between the stories and jokes. He simply tells us to imagine a different place and launches straight in to another story. Whatever way he performs, not only is Billy a brave inspiration through continuing to carry on what he does and loves despite his illness, but he's also a very, very talented and hilarious man. And this performance proves he's still got it, and it's well worth checking out as a second chance to see him perform if you miss the live tour. The works of Roald Dahl have been adapted to the big screen before, the most famous being Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, starring the late, great Gene Wilder. There have been other popular adaptions too, the fantastic Mr. Fox, Matilda, and the Witches. Steven Spielberg is the latest director to try his luck with adapting the works of Roald Dahl with his version of the BFG, which is out on DVD now. The BFG tells the story of a girl named Sophie who encounters the big friendly giant, who, despite his intimidating appearance, turns out to be a kind-hearted soul who is considered an outcast by the other giants because he refuses to eat children. The CGI that is used to create the BFG looks slightly subpar, but when you have a character voiced by superb actor and Academy Award winner Mark Rylance, it doesn't really matter. Mark Rylance, of course, bagged his award for his portrayal of a Russian undercover operative in Bridge of Spies, which was also directed by Spielberg. Rylance, as the BFG, is the embodiment of how the character felt in the book, and it's expertly brought to life. But why did you bring me here? Why did you take me? Well, I had to take you. Because the first thing you'd be doing, you'd be scuttling around and yodling the news that you were actually seeing a giant. And then there would be a great rumple dumpers, wouldn't there? And all the human beings would be rummaging and whiffling for the giant what you saw and getting wildly excited and then they'd be locking me up in a cage and to be looked at with all the squiggling, you know, hippo dumplings and crocodile dillies and jiggy rafts. And then there would be a gigantic look-see giant hunt 
for all of the boys. I won't tell. No one would listen to me anyway. I'm an untrustworthy child. Ruby Barnhill, who plays the little girl Sophie, fares much worse, however, and fails to carry the film as one might have hoped. The film remains mostly faithful to the book, and the screenplay, adapted by Melissa Matheson, marks the first time she has collaborated with Steven Spielberg since E.T. released in 1982. While the film fails to reach the heights of that cinematic classic, Spielberg, the veteran director, is an expert at crafting family movies, and the BFG, with its mixture of magic and fantasy, combined with its overall sweetness, is sure to capture the imagination of children everywhere, and could quite possibly entertain their parents in the process as well. So there you have it, that's Flavor Mag Films November Roundup. We hope you enjoyed it. Next month is December and the end of the year, so we should have quite a few nice big ones for you. Um, we already have lined up Disney's Moana, which is a nice diverse, different take on your Disney princess. Um, and that'll be discussed by Daisy and myself. So enjoy the rest of your month and I'll, we'll see you next month. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. What's your flavor? Tell me what's your flavor? What's your flavor? What's your flavor? Tell me what's your flavor?